You are listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. This is a reading from Romans chapter 1, verse 1 to 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart from the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the Holy through the Spirit of Holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him and for his name's sake. We receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in our age of social media, we see announcements of good news all the time. Whether it's an announcement about a sporting victory, an engagement, a new job, a pregnancy, a new grandchild, when something exciting is happening in our lives, when there's good news, we want other people to know. And so we share it far and wide. Well, today we're starting a new series in the book of Romans, where over this term, we'll be unpacking the first four chapters of this book. Uh, Romans is a book that scares a lot of people because I think of it as heavy and theological. I mean, isn't it a hugely difficult book where people argue about different theological meanings? Well, there is some truth in that, but Romans is actually a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And in this letter, he lays out more thoroughly than any other of his letters what he believes about God, about Jesus, and about salvation. Through the history of the church, Romans has been a vitally important book for this reason. It was by reading Romans that Martin Luther came to an understanding of how he could be right with God by faith alone, which sparked the reformation of the church in the 16th century. And throughout history, it's been the same for other people as they've read this book. And they've understood what God has done for them in Jesus and how they need to respond. You see, at its heart, the book of Romans is all about the gospel. It's about the good news of Jesus. That's what the word gospel means. Gospel means a good announcement or good news. And this book lays out for us in detail what the good news is and how we should respond to it. Right, that's exciting. Everyone loves good news. And this is the best good news of all. We've called this series, The Power of the Gospel. And in today's passage, just the first seven verses of Romans, we learn four things about the gospel or good news. So firstly, we learn that the gospel comes from God. Verse one reads like this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. 
Paul starts by introducing himself and his role. He's a servant of Jesus. He's been called to be an apostle or a a sent messenger. And he's been set apart for a task, set apart for sharing the gospel or good news. But Paul is clear that this is not his message that he's sharing. It is the gospel of God. That's really important. This message hasn't originated with humans or been made up in someone's head. It isn't just good ideas or wise advice. It is God's message, God's good news, an announcement of what God has done for us. Now, there's an immediate implication from that. It means that Paul or any of us are not free to change the message. If this is God's gospel, God's good news message, then we can't improve it or modify it. We can't water it down to make it more acceptable. We can't leave parts of it out if we don't like them. We can't adjust it to suit how we're feeling. If it's God's gospel, God's good news, then all we can do is respond to it and share it, to announce it to others so that they can hear and respond to it too. The second point about the gospel follows on from this. The gospel was promised in the Old Testament. Verse 2. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, in one sense, the good news that Paul is sharing is new and it has just happened through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. But in another sense, it's the culmination and fulfillment of God's ancient promises. The whole of the Bible has been pointing to this good news and the prophets have been promising that it would happen. As far back as Genesis 12, God promised Abraham that he would bless the whole world through one of his descendants. And that promise shapes the whole history of ancient Israel and it gets refined and focused more as the Old Testament goes on. So King David is also told that one of his sons will rule as king forever. The promised Messiah or king will come from David's line. And as the years and the centuries roll on, people continue to wait for the fulfilment of these promises. And it looks like it won't happen and that God is wrong or that his promises have failed somehow. But now Paul says, this has finally happened and the promises have been fulfilled. Right? Can you see why this is good news? I love reading fantasy novels and they often contain this idea of prophecy in them. Right? There's a, a promise of some great hero who's going to come or a great deliverer who will rescue people someone who will transform the terrible circumstances that are being faced. And when in the novel or or in the series, you finally get to that point where the hero is revealed and the prophecies are fulfilled, it's this great climactic moment. Finally, it's happened. All the threads that were weaving through the story, all of the seeming dead ends are explained and brought together in this culmination. This is incredible. This is good news, and it's worth celebrating and sharing. So what's the culmination of this story? Who's the hero who was promised? Well, that brings us to the third point about the gospel. 
the gospel is all about Jesus. Verse 3 starts by saying that it is the gospel concerning his son. So this good news is about God's son. But Paul holds back saying his name right up until the end of verse 4. He says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's the stunning thing about the good news that God gives us. The good news is a person. When God shares his good news with us, it's not a philosophy. It's not a political theory. It's not a set of rules for wise living. The good news is Jesus. It is who he is and what he's done that is the good news. So that means the good news is personal and relational because it's all about a person, Jesus, who we can know and have a relationship with. Verses three and four unpack more about who this Jesus is. Verse three reads, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David. The emphasis here is on the humanity of Jesus, that he was a real historical figure. He had parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, including going right back to great King David himself. That means the gospel is rooted in history. If you were present in Galilee in the first century, you could have seen and touched Jesus. You could have listened to his teaching and witnessed his miracles. You could have watched as he was put to death on a Roman cross. And you could have been one of 500 people who saw him after he'd risen from the dead. Since the good news concerns a person, it is historical and it's testable historically. That's what it means that Jesus is descended from David. But it's more than that too, because that links Jesus to the Old Testament promises which we've seen, that one of David's descendants would rule as king forever. Jesus is the fulfilment of these hopes. He wasn't just any human being. He was the promised hero of the story, the one that all the prophecies were about, the one who brings the story to its thrilling climax. In him, God's plans for the world are fulfilled. So this good news concerns Jesus, who was fully human and a descendant of David, but he's even more than that. Verse 4. And who the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, this verse is a bit difficult and it does need some unpacking, but it expresses powerful truths about Jesus. Firstly, we need to ask what it means to say that Jesus was appointed the son of God. I mean, wasn't he always the son of God? In what way was he appointed? Some Bible translations try and get around this difficulty by translating uh, the word here as declared. He was declared son of God in power. But that's really just trying to make it easier for ourselves. And it is a stretch because the particular Greek word that's translated here in every other instance really does mean appointed. And I think the tension for us in this verse is actually in the meaning of the phrase son of God. When we hear that phrase, son of God, we think of it as simply another way of saying God. 
right? To call Jesus the Son of God means that Jesus is God and he's fully God. Well, yes, Jesus is absolutely fully God. That's true. But the title Son of God doesn't automatically mean that. It simply means king. And human kings of Israel were referred to as son of God. So a good example is in Psalm 2, verse 7. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now, this was probably a coronation psalm. Uh, When David, Solomon, or, or someone else became king, he was appointed son of God. Today I have become your father. So the term is a kingly term. When the new ruler is seated on the throne, they are appointed son of God in the sense that they are appointed as king. But the term son of God only finds its true fulfillment in Jesus, the Messiah, the great king who was promised and will rule forever. If I can put it like this, in in Jesus, we have God the Son, the one who is fully and eternally God. But this, this God the Son comes to earth as the promised Son of God, the great King. And the great coronation or appointment of Jesus as the world's great King comes through his resurrection from the dead. In the resurrection of Jesus, he's appointed son of God in power. It's not that he wasn't the son of God before this, but by his defeat of sin and death, by his triumph over evil and the powers of Satan, by his ascension to the right hand of God the Father, he takes his seat on the throne and he's appointed king, lord and ruler over the whole universe. This ushers in the new era of the Holy Spirit's power, the spirit of holiness as it's put here. When Jesus pours out his spirit on his followers and empowers his followers for mission and for witness to the world, announcing to the world Jesus' rule and power. Right, That's where we're situated in time. That's the good news that we are declaring that the good news concerns Jesus who is risen from the dead, who's the king of the whole world and who gives life and power through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's good news. It needs sharing. And it's such good news. It's so unique and so remarkable that it calls for a response. And that's the fourth thing we learn about the gospel in this passage that it calls for a response. You see, if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus has been appointed Son of God in power by his resurrection, if the person sitting on the throne of the universe is Jesus, then we need to respond to him. I mean, we can pretend that that's not true. We can carry on life ignoring that fact. We can... Imagine that we are seated on the throne and rule our own lives and little worlds. But if there is actually a larger objective reality with Jesus really sitting on the throne, then not responding to him would be utter foolishness. 
So what response is needed? Verse 5. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. The response that is needed is the obedience that comes from faith. Now that word faith uh, means trust. We need to respond to Jesus by trusting him, trusting that he is who he claims to be, the world's saviour whose death on the cross deals with our sin and offers us forgiveness, the world's king whose resurrection has defeated death and evil and requires our allegiance to him as Lord. Faith means saying yes to this reality, to give ourselves to Jesus, to come under his good and loving rule. So where does obedience come into it? Well, note here that it's not faith plus obedience that is required here. Like you need to do two separate things. You need faith and you need obedience and they're two components on the list and you've got to tick both things off. Otherwise, our relationship with Jesus would go up or down or worse, it would turn on or off depending on how obedient or disobedient we'd been today. Now, Romans will have more to say about this, how it is faith alone that saves us. Faith alone brings us into relationship with Jesus. But faith, genuine faith, always leads to obedience. As it's put here, it is the obedience that comes from faith. And that makes sense when we think about who Jesus is. Right? We're putting faith in Jesus as son of God, as king, as Lord. It makes, makes no sense to trust Jesus as Lord and then not obey him. That means you haven't really trusted him at all or you haven't trusted him as the Lord. Maybe think of it like this. Imagine you get on a bus uh, and the driver says to you, do you trust me? I'm a very experienced driver. I've been driving buses for 20 years. Uh, here's my license. Here's my advanced driver training credentials. Do you trust me? And you say, yes, I trust you. But then you want to hold the steering wheel of the bus rather than let the driver steer. Do you really trust the driver as a bus driver? I don't think you do. In the same way, if you trust Jesus as Lord, as the one who's in charge of the universe and who's good and who knows what is best for us, who's come to give us life and life in abundance, if you trust this Jesus, then you'll let him do his job as Lord, not only over the whole universe, but also over your life. And that means obedience. Remember again that the gospel is personal and relational. The good news is about a person, Jesus. Our response is to trust in this person, Jesus, and in trusting him to obey what he calls us to do. The Christians in Rome have done just that. We see that clearly in verses 6 and 7, right? They belong to Jesus, verse 6. They are loved by God, 
verse 7. They are called to be his holy people, verse 7. They've received grace and peace, verse 7. So what about us? How have we responded to the good news of Jesus? Have you said to Jesus, I trust you. I trust you as Lord and King, and I'm willing to put you in charge of my life and be obedient to you. That's what it means to be a Christian, to trust Jesus as Lord and King. Maybe you've never done that before, but you're feeling now that it's something that you want to do. Well, it's simply a case of telling Jesus, Jesus, I do trust you and I want you to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, please reach out to us so that we can help you on that journey of faith. Uh, Connect with us through our website and tell us that this is the decision point for you where you want to do that to make Jesus your Lord. And for those of us who already claim to trust Jesus as Lord, our challenge from this passage is to examine whether this is working itself out in obedience. Go back to the image of the bus. Is Jesus holding the wheel? Are you letting him drive your decisions and your choices? Or do you keep grabbing the wheel back and trying to drive for yourself? Or are you happy for Jesus to be the driver in most parts of your life, but not all of them? Are you okay with Jesus driving when things are going well, but in a crisis, you want to grab hold of the wheel? See, trusting Jesus as Lord means allowing him to drive. If there are areas that we're aware of where we keep resting control back, then the best thing to do is to recall to our minds again who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Obedience can only flow from faith. We need to remember that Jesus is eminently qualified for the job of Lord. He's the long-promised king from the line of David that all history has been waiting for. And the whole story of the world has led up to him. He is sitting on the throne of the universe. He's risen from the dead. He's the ruler of everything. And so he's more than capable to guide our lives and circumstances. Jesus is good news. He's good news from God for all people. And he's good news for each of us too. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. 